What I told them was, okay, I love to hear all the positive thoughts and feedback, but what I really want you to tell me is the negatives. I said, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Tell me all the negative things and about the product and about the design and about the functionality. Like, that's what I want to hear. So I can then take all that negativity and try and make it positive. So that's, that's kind of what I did initially. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, the podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who successfully scale their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Martin Hill. Martin is a CEO, founder, and the inventor of the Bebo. The Bebo was a freehand bottle holder designed to enhance the feeding time between you and your baby. On this episode, Martin shares his unbelievable growth journey. It was an amazing combination of ingenuity, timing, and a successful pitch on Shark Tank. Plus, Martin even announces that his company is for sale at the end of the show. Key questions we answer are how he was able to get an investment from Shark Tank investors Lori Gunier and Ashton Kutcher on a season seven episode, how he scaled a fast growing company with only a couple of employees, why Martin doubled down on understanding the flaws with his design, how he was one out of one of a hundred that were selected of 50,000 to appear on that season of Shark Tank, how he leveraged outsourced partners to scale his business, why he decided to sell the company and so much more. Now onto the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hey, good morning, Martin. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. I'm, I'm really excited about this. This is the first time we get to weave uh, Shark Tank into the the growth journey of a company and an individual. So uh, excited to have you on. What I usually like to do is start first. Why don't you give us a little bit insight of, of where you are today, company, you know, product, company size, who you're selling to, and then I'm going to take you back in time to, to figure out how you got here. Yeah. Um, so my name is Martin Hill. I own a company called Better Family Incorporated, and our one and only amazing product is called the Bebo. So Bebo is a freehand baby bottle holder that's uh, designed to enhance the feeding time between you and your baby. Uh, we sell that now in Walmart stores. Uh, we're ramping up in Walmart right now. We're in about 300 and something at the moment. We're in Bye Bye Baby stores nationwide. We sell on Amazon, our website, and we also have international distributors where we ship directly from China, which is where we manufacture the product, to our international distributors. Oh, that's fantastic. And I will link to uh, a clip of the episode that you're on so people can get a better idea, plus the website. And man, my kids are much older, but this would have been so handy back back in the yeah. day. And the product is, it's so simple that I can't believe that nobody else you know, had thought of this prior to well, you basically taking it and launching it. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those moments where my engineering background my, that's how my head works. I, I like to solve problems. And 
the whole product came around when my little boy was struggling to finish his bottle every feeding. So I noticed he was really chilled out and mellow whenever I'd read a book to him. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to make something that holds the bottle in place for me that goes up my shoulder. So I've got a free hand to hold the book so I can read to him while I'm feeding him. And I looked briefly online to see if there was anything, but nothing came up. And I really enjoyed making things. So I just got this idea in my head and created it in my garage. So, yeah. yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It, again, I love the, the story. People, a lot of the founders that I've had on, on the show have, you know, started basically solving a problem for themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's probably a good segue. So let's, let's go back in time when you were toying with, I'm assuming you were working full time somewhere else when you came up with the idea. Yeah. I was in engineering sales down to, down here in South Florida. We'd actually just moved from St. Louis, Missouri. So during that transitional period, while we were moving, uh, my wife relocated down here with her job and I was going from one job to another. And what happened was it gave me this, these few months of getting settled into our new home and our new life down here. And it really opened up this creative side because I didn't have to grind out my Monday through Friday nine to five job. Right. Um, and I, I made a few things, you know, cause that's, like I said, that's what, that's what I love to do. And Bebo was one of those things. Cause at that time, my little boy was just a few months old. So during that transition between me starting my new job and finishing my old job in St. Louis, that's where actually Bebo was created in that little pocket of time right there. As along with a few other things, but Bebo was the one that, kind of got a lot of traction from people who saw it. So next thing I know, I'm looking into patents and trademarks and manufacturing and packaging. And then that's where the whole crazy road started. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and that, that's what I was going to ask you, maybe dig a little bit deeper too. So you, you're solving the problem for yourself. And now I'm guessing you're using this out in public as well as at home and people are starting to ask you about it. And is that when the idea said, Hey, maybe this, this really could become a, a product that I can sell? Cause initially it sounds like you were just doing something to, to solve a problem for you. When did it become, you know, a thought that maybe this could be a, a big, much bigger than just that? Yeah. Um, so when I first invented it, made it, I just made a prototype in my garage. Uh, it actually looks 95% the same as the final product now. And that's because of my Taipei engineering background. <laughs> and I like, you know, I worked hard on that thing and I wanted it to look right. I didn't want just a piece of junk over my shoulder. I wanted it to look like a product. So when we had friends and family initially come over and see it, everyone was like, wow, where'd you get that from? That's cool. And I told them I'd made it and people were like, that's amazing. You should, you should do something with it. But that's from friends and family. Right. right. And you, you don't know how the real world would see a product and not a skewed opinion from people who know and love you. So I remember the moment very clearly when we first took it out in public, uh, we went to a restaurant just down the road, uh, and I had it over my shoulder. I was feeding my little boy. I was eating a salad. My wife was looking after my little girl. And it was just this really nice, relaxed family environment that we, that we created. 
especially with Jacob being involved and feeling like he was part of the the dining activities. Right. So during that during that dinner, we had literally four families come over and ask where we bought the product from because they were interesting. Wanting. Okay. So yeah, I'd already started poking around a little bit in the patent world. I knew a little bit about patenting from an engineering background. So I started digging and I actually hired a patent attorney to do the first step, which is a patent search. So what that does is because the patent structure now and filing system is all electronic, it's actually very easy for somebody to look through and find if you are infringing upon anyone else's idea with what you've created. So I think it cost me 600 bucks okay. to hire a patent. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's not too bad. I was envisioning a much bigger yeah. investment. So interesting. No, it cost about 600 bucks because of it being so automated now. So what that I always tell people that it's step one. You know, if you've got an idea and you think it's great, do hire a patent attorney to do that patent search. Pay them a few hundred bucks. And then they'll come back with either the bad news or the good news. The, the bad news is there's already kind of a bunch of stuff out there and you'll be totally infringing if you try and yeah. launch that. Right. But the good news is, hey, there's nothing really out there. And if you want to take it further, now you can. But now the real work and the real money comes into play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that, that's when it gets uh, serious at that point. Was that what your, your next step was? You figured there was nothing out there. Now I'm going to have to put the time and the effort in, or were you doing multiple? Were you starting to look at market opportunities? Where, where was your head at this point? So, um, yeah, we, we started doing, I made about four or five of my little prototypes early on. Uh, okay. handmade them in my garage, handed them to uh, people that we knew that had newborns between the ages of three months and a year which can, it's just kind of the sweet spot for people. And what I told them was, okay, I love to hear all the positive thoughts and feedback, but what I really want you to tell me is the negatives. I said, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Tell me all the negative things and about the product and about the design and about the functionality. Like, that's what I want to hear. So I can then take all that negativity and try and make it positive. So that's, that's kind of what I did initially. There's lots of forks in the road on this crazy journey. You know, I could have gone a different direction at that point and started throwing a bunch of money into it and building prototypes and going through that phase earlier. But I decided to hand make a bunch of these things and get feedback that way. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's great advice for for founders and, and business owners at really any stage of the business. Make sure you engage with customers and not just hear what you yeah. want to hear. <laughs> but to your point, yeah. give me the negatives so we can improve, you know, either product experience, anything about it. So all right, so fantastic. You're now four or five, you've got the feedback coming back from customers. Everything yep. is now I'm I'm assuming the vision still, hey, we're gonna we're going to start to sell these, you know, kind of what was the next step? Did you obviously consider fundraising because of, of Shark Tank, but was that yep. even on the radar at this time or where kind of walk us through that, that, that. Yeah. yeah it, at this point, early, early on, we were still, I, I've never launched a business before, right? This is all right. new. 
it, it is a, a dark alleyway that I'm fumbling my way down <laughs> right now. So, you know, um, my wife and I, uh, we were in a fortunate situation to be able to self-fund Bebo early on. A lot of people don't are not in that fortunate situation. That was just through hard work and smart saving. You know, uh, that's that's what we've done. We've built up a a pot of money that we were willing to risk okay. at this venue, right? In order to maintain the full business at sure. this point. So obviously, there's the different angles that people can go down. There's now there's the crowdfunding aspect of things where you can take it, take your idea, make a video, throw it on Kickstarter or Indiegogo and try and get pre-orders for your product to then transfer over and build the business that way. That's, that's one option. But the huge negative about that option for me is that you are showing your product to the world at that point and you're not ready. So that's fascinating to think about it from that, that ask that makes sense, right? Cause you're, you haven't worked all the kinks out yet, but now the world's saying, huh, there's a lot of people that are responding to this campaign. Exactly. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't think, you know, I'm not sure whether you know about the fidget cube scenario. So fidget cube did that. They created a little product. I don't know whether you remember it. There was the fidget spinners and then yeah. there was the fidget cube. So the fidget cube had all the six sides of a cube and each each side with a little handheld cube had something different to fiddle with, right? Whether it was a clicky button or a rolling ball. So the fidget cube scenario, what happened there was the guy, from what I understand, he did a Kickstarter campaign, but they weren't ready to bring this to mass market and a lot of people saw that there was china knockoffs pretty much within weeks they were flooding the market as an inferior product a cheaper product and his whole business got crushed basically through kickstarter because it's too bad you've got to you've got to have those levers ready to pull instantly if you are doing that so that made me nervous. <laughs> so I didn't go down that route. Like I mentioned, Sarah and I, my wife and I, we had the ability to cell phone people. So I think the other option at that point is to go out and try and raise money from the friends and family around, early adopters and uh, early investors. But you've then got the issue of high risk, low valuation. Right. So, you know, if you've got this great idea that isn't proven, no one's going to value that at millions of dollars. They're going to want a bigger piece of the pie for a smaller amount of money because there's risk involved of it not going anywhere. So we kept 100% of our business um, at this point. We self-funded it. The step after this point was we hired a product design company to take my handmade prototype and my sketches and the feedback that we'd got from friends and family on the negative side and try and turn, spin that and turn it into positivity. So we hired a company to take my prototype and make it mass producible, pretty, and uh, marketable to the, to the masses. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And that's, were they also be the ones that would end up manufacturing it? Or is this really just the design aspect? You wanted to have the full design and that it was turnkey once you're ready to go. 
Exactly. Yeah, they did not end up manufacturing it. They quoted it. But um, what you know, one of the biggest lessons I've learned during this whole journey is use people for what they can prove that they're good at, not just for what they can tell you they're good at. Yeah, now, that's great advice. These guys, yeah, these guys, they're a design company, and they're very, very good at, at, at design and you know, rendering images and making your product look great. Now, they wanted to manufacture, but that's not what they did. They're not a manufacturing company. So we ended up, uh, once we had all the CAD files, then starting to shop around and find a manufacturer. Okay. And now I know we're getting to the point of the, the shark tank <laughs> fork in the road. But so at this point, were you still planning on self-funding the initial rollout or looking at different customers? What was, or are you just going to sell this, you know, direct to consumer on the website? Where, where was your thinking at this point? Yeah, I, I think at this point, this is where you've either got that entrepreneurial bug or you haven't, you know, it, it, it it just grinds in the back of your brain, knowing that we can do this ourselves. I can do this rather than handing off a piece of the company and bringing in people to do it for you. So at this point, we had a great product designed. We actually we found a manufacturer. That's an interesting story in itself, if you want to hear that. Yeah, let's um, hear it. You know, yeah, you know, how you find a manufacturer to manufacture the product that you've now got designed. Right. So I started looking at online manufacturing sites, uh, trying to get this. I, I, I tried so hard to manufacture it, uh, manufacture it here in the States. But because of the size and the materials, we just couldn't make the numbers work. It just wouldn't, we could not manufacture here in the States. So I started trying to find a manufacturer overseas. All roads led to China pretty much at that point. So to try and find a manufacturer in China that can do quality work that's already been proven, like I mentioned earlier, you don't want to be the guinea pig at this point, that's proven what they've done in a similar type of material and size and environment that you need it doing, and that you can trust that they're not going to just steal your product and uh, sell it out the back door. So... To try and find someone overseas, I, I it was like a needle in a haystack. So my wife, she was on a business trip flying, I think it was Southwest or something. And in the Southwest Airlines magazine, there was a half-page ad for a company here in the States that have offices here in the U.S. They have offices in China. And those offices in China have all the long-term relationships with the manufacturers that they know they can trust and rely on. So they're kind of like a broker. Okay. Um, and, and I ended up calling them, going through a little vetting system first, and then quoting it. And we managed to make that work. And that's who we ended up going with to manufacture Bevo. And they still manufacture it today. Oh, interesting. So, so it's good to know that yeah. uh, magazine advertising still works. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Southwest Airlines magazine. <laughs> Apparently I'll be it damned. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. And just and just from a time, is this 2014, 15? Where, where are you in the journey at this point? Sure. So we officially launched Bevo in 2015. This will have been maybe t- late 2013 that we found okay. 
um, that company. And then, you know, we, we handed over all the CAD files and after they quoted it and we, we talked about materials and pricing and timeline, packaging was a big thing as well, how we're going to package these things. So we hired the design company that we used previously to design the product, to do the packaging as well. Okay. And there was a lot of back and forth. I think somebody years ago told me, they were like, if you think of a timeline, a set amount of time and a cost of money that you think it's going to take to bring your product to market, triple or quadruple goal, <laughs> and you'll be somewhere close. <laughs> I was going to say they, double it, but wow. Okay. That makes it oh, yeah. you know. They were... They were so close. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, because when you think, oh, I've got this, okay, yeah, it's, I'm going to make a prototype and then I'm going to manufacture it and then we're going to bring it to market. Boom, done. What, six months, nine months? I can do that. No, there is so much back and forth and the money as well just keeps creeping and creeping and creeping. So it was pretty much triple to quadruple what I envisioned it to be. And um, yeah, so <clears throat> that was... <laughs> That, that's one of the pieces of advice uh, that someone gave me that always sticks in my head because they were down close. <laughs> yeah, that's probably really good advice for anybody thinking about, I think in any aspect, not just a product company, I think services as well. And you know, one of the things that I've heard, maybe not necessarily from a financial or money, but you know, I, I had a guy who started a company, Bright Move CEO said, you know, it was a 10, it was a 10 year overnight success. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Thinking yeah, we, we, we can get this thing off and running in a year and we'll get it going. But you know, it, it you just got to stick with the process to your point and you know, it's going to take longer than you think and good things can come out the other side. So, all right. So now you've yeah. got product, you got manufacturing, yep. Yep. but do you have, do you have customers at this point? Nope. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> so at, this, at this point, we now have the pricing structure. We know how much these are going to cost. I knew at the time that I could fit 6,744 units into a 40-foot container. <laughs> so okay. <laughs> that, was, that, was my, uh, that was my old packaging. We can fit a lot more than that now because we consolidated. But I remember that number. And in my head and with my wife's support, we were like, okay, if we can sell 100 of these things, we can sell 1,000 of these things, we can sell 6,744 of these things. So let's roll the dice, the entrepreneurial dice, and order a 40-foot container, and then let's, let's give this a go. Okay. So we had prototypes at this point, we, like functioning, real-life-looking prototypes. So we started doing some photo shoots. We started building a website. We started making a couple of videos and while, while everything was being manufactured and shipped. So this was the end of 2014. The container arrived. It was like early December. And I remember it like it was yesterday when that 40-foot container pulled up to my storage unit that I'd rented. <laughs> I... I had no idea how big a 40-foot container was until that <laughs> truck backed up, <laughs> beeped its way down this small alleyway, and it, it was like a house coming towards me. And that's when I remember me just feeling, what have I done? <laughs> like, right. uh, yeah. Like, no turning okay. back at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're pretty much all in at this point. 
So, um, yeah, we, we unloaded, hired some buddies that, uh, that worked for pizza and beer, unloaded <laughs> my container full of product, put it in my storage unit, and about, so it was probably a week later, maybe around that time, I think, that Shark Tank were doing advertisements during the commercial break on the show saying, hey, do you have a good idea? We're doing open casting calls in Las Vegas and Miami. So I am an hour and a half drive away from Miami. I did not hesitate in my brain to go, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try out for Shark Tank because I think I'll be good on there. They've got boxes that I've noticed that they check. You know, you, you'd be good on television. You, oh, you can have some fun. You've got a great product that's mass, mass market. And I deep down believed I've got this. I can do Shark Tank. So I drove down to Miami. I think it was in January of that year. Yeah, January 2015. So a few weeks after our 40 foot container had arrived. We hadn't even launched the website at that point when we went down there because, yet again, we had delays. <laughs> so, drove down to Miami, memorized the one minute pitch, and did this casting. So, this is just a casting company at this point that Shark Tank's hire to kind of filter through the garbage and try and find some legitimate candidates to be on the show. Interesting. So, how, many, how many other folks were there that day? Do you recall or have any idea? Yeah, I'd, I'd say between 500 and 1,000 people wow. um, okay. lined up. Yeah. yeah, all lined up. We all got given these numbers, wristbands, and they called us in 30 or 40 at a time. We sat in a waiting room and then got called into these booths where we basically pitched, did our one-minute pitch, and you could see people going in and out. And most people were walking in, doing their one-minute pitch and walking out. And that was it, in and out, in and out. So when I went in there, I did my one-minute pitch, and I remember the casting agent going, well, isn't this cool? She was like, why have I never seen this? This is a great product. And I was like, well, it's because we haven't launched it yet. We're actually launching the website in about two weeks. And it's brand new. Nobody knows about this. You're one of the first people to see it. So I think that really sparked her attention. The intrigue, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up chatting for probably a good 10 minutes uh, instead of the one minute in and out kind of that I'd seen everyone else doing. And then long story short with the casting is they'll, they called me up a couple of days later and said, I'm through the next round of casting and here's a bunch of paperwork. And this is this is where the journey begins. So, yeah. And that was still in still in January. So what, what, what happened yep. next? So you had to fill out the paperwork and was the next mm -hmm. step another vetting process or was this actually yep. to the tank at that point? Uh, no, there's a filtering process. You know, the, um, the, I think there was 50,000 people applied to be on my season. I think it was wow. around about that. Yeah. And they filmed just over a hundred of us. So that's a, that's a filtering process. You know, yes, when you're, yeah, to try and find those hundred or so people out of 50,000 applicants. So there's multiple stages of vetting and interviews and paperwork. And they're just making sure that you'll be good. You'll make good TV and you've got a legitimate business and a legit product that would 
that would be enjoyed to, for TV viewers to watch. So, right. Yep. And at this point, you've got to feel validated that, you know, of 50,000, if you're one of the hundred people believe in yeah. this idea too. I mean, if you needed further validation, it doesn't sound yeah. like you did. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. So we, you know, at this point we'd, we launched the website at February. We started doing some Facebook videos on our Facebook page and they started getting shared and going viral and the website sales were going up and up. Then um, we had retailers start reaching out to us. And then I was on, the, the Shark Tank flew me out to LA to film June of that year. Okay. So, you know, this was, Product arrived December 2014, open casting called January 2015, website launched February 2015, flew me out to LA, pitch to the Sharks, June of 2015, and then uh, my episode was televised September of that year. So this was, this was crazy. Right? It, was, it was madness. So during all the time, we started getting great feedback and sales were starting to, to grow. Uh, we got contacted by retailers and it was, it was just trying to keep our feet on the ground. Yeah. As, as, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just curious that it, once you started that growth journey, right. In parallel with the, the shark tank, was it still just you and your wife and some buddies or did you actually have enough volume that you had to actually bring additional help on at that time? Uh, nope. It was pretty much me. So okay. <laughs> my wife worked full time. I was doing this now I, at this point I'd quit my job. I was focusing on this full time with the belief that we could take it somewhere. And, you know, I was, I was literally putting product in boxes and printing out labels and taking them to the post office. And, you know, on a daily basis at this point, uh, going to my storage locker, um, then we'd order more products. And <laughs> it was, you know, then, then Shark Tank happens and it aired and things just went crazy. There's, there's the Shark Tank effect, as they call it, where, you know, you've got to be ready to, to go. For that uh, and so when, yeah. so do you actually struck a deal? And again, this is more my curiosity with the behind the yeah. scenes of shark tank is, you know, if the, you go on there, you pitched in June, obviously you had a couple of investors. Um, yeah. It was Lori and uh, Hash and Kucher, right? Were the two that ended up investing yeah. in the company. So did that happen yeah, in yeah. June or I'm assuming there's another secondary vetting process after that, after they pitch and agree, right? Right. So I, I filmed in June and we televised in September. Okay. So, yep. That was, and yeah, it's, it's the process once you've made the deal to solidify that and make it real. But we televised in June uh, September, sorry, that was uh, end of September is when my episode aired. We had thousands of units in stock, and they were all gone within days. Just like, poof, they went. We already had another container on the ocean. We opened that up for pre-sale. That was 70% sold by the time it reached the show. So then we had to order another one. And then it's all about growth management, right, and right. cash flow. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, and especially when you get into the retail side of things, that's when the cash flow situation becomes very real, because they don't buy product off you and give you the cash straight away. Uh, there's there's payment terms, and you've got to manufacture the product for them to be able to take possession of, and then you don't get paid 
some months after that. Right. So it's, it's a cash flow situation at that point. Did so, you, was it a conscious decision then to go both uh, from the direct to consumer? Cause obviously you were starting to see a lot of growth just going direct, but the, the strategy was definitely to expand into retail, which I'm not a, huge in that space, yeah. but that seems to, that seems to make sense. It does. It, it seemed to make sense to us, you know, so we got, we, we launched nationwide into buy by baby first. And then okay. we got into Walmart just, just over a year ago. So uh, that's where we're at right now. Gotcha. Um, and we're, we're ramping up in Walmart. We're still in buy by baby. We've been in there for a number of years now since we launched in Late 2015, I think we went. Yeah, it was after Shark Tank. Late 2015 is when we did the full launch in nationwide in the Bye Bye Baby. No, and we've, we've been, yeah, we've been in there, and that you've got to justify your shelf space, right, with right. sales. And so we're we're still in Bye Bye Baby nationwide. So we're doing we're doing our job. We're justifying our existence, which is great. Yeah, that's great. And just to touch back on, because one of the things you 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 brought up, and which I find a lot of, not necessarily the founders that I've had on the show, is is that expansion beyond just you, right? Yeah. And you yeah. knew things were going to take off. So maybe just share kind of a little bit what some of your first hires were, and did it happen rapidly, or what was? How did you transition from that? I've got this yeah. to man, I need some other folks on board. Yeah, so there's pain points. One of the ones I mentioned earlier was putting product in the boxes and slapping labels on them. My time is worth more than that. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> uh, one of the one of the the faults in the road that we get to is, do you buy or rent a warehouse and have warehouse people and do that yourself and keep it in house, or do you find a fulfillment center? that can house your product and ship your product to direct to consumers and Amazon and retailers. So one of the things that happens when you ship to a retailer is you have electronic data interchange, EDI. So EDI is in the background when they place an order that pushes a purchase order through, which then tells you how to fulfill. And then it's when it's received, that's when the invoice is fulfilled and you get paid after that during X time. So that's all done in the background. So it's really important. It was really important for me to find a fulfillment company at this point because I didn't want to manage people. I wanted to outsource that and just have, have that done. So my my product would come in, I'd ship it to my fulfillment center and they would inventory it, rack it, store it, fulfill it, keep a, keep an eye on inventory for me, uh, which I do myself anyway, because I'm type A like that. Um, <laughs> know, know when I'm getting down to a pull the trigger, let's order some more level so that we never run out of inventory, uh, which is this supply demand tightrope that we all walk along. You don't want to be one side of that. You know, you don't want a ton of supply and hardly any de- demand, but you also don't want a ton of demand and hardly any supply. It's that tight rock that we walk along uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, um, I understand. And that all, that all boils right back down to cash flow because you don't want to be paying for a ton of your product to be stored because storage isn't free. So, yeah. 
Yeah. I think the other thing I love about your approach to this is leveraging, you know, outsourcers and that can do this job and do it really well. I think there's sometimes a fear, you know, that I've got to bring on full-time employees to do this, but why build out an infrastructure if it's, if it's already there. And so, so you were able to keep from a personnel fairly lean as you were continuing to scale the business. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I've got some employees that work for me um, on an hourly basis, but the big things, you know, PR and marketing, I outsourced and social media that I've got people that look after that. My fulfillment center, I don't, I don't have to deal with that on a daily basis. They just do their thing and it's great. So I kept it pretty lean and not having a bunch of employees that I have to deal with. <laughs> some people enjoy that. Some people enjoy that. That's that's not that's not my jam. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's great advice for founders that are getting to that point of beyond themselves, starting to scale. You don't have to bring in. There are experts, and especially if they kind of follow what you did with that vetting process to make sure they're good at what you're hiring them to do. You know, could be yep. a very viable option. So. Um, yep. No, that's great. Okay. Well, lastly, on the, this topic, then what's, you know, kind of what's next for Bebo and yourself and the company? Obviously, growth um, is still occurring. What's yeah. what's next for you guys? Yeah, we're actually really at a, an interesting point in the business. I've got, I've got a new product that we're about to launch in the next couple of months. And it's, it's really exciting. We're looking forward to it. It's separate from Bebo. So we're actually at the point now where I feel like I've built this great foundation for Bebo, this great foundation for success. And we've, we just listed Bebo for sale. So (laughs) yeah. Um, I know that I've taken it so far and if a company or individual takes it at this point, um, they can take it much further than I could ever take it. The intellectual property is all filed and everything's ready to go. So we've got, the great Walmart opportunity in front of us as well for growth. Like I said, we're in a few hundred stores right now. They've got nearly 5,000 stores nationwide. So it's, it's at this point where I could hire and build the team further around Bevo. Or what we've decided to do is let someone take it and go roll with it. Pour some, pour some fuel on the fire and have some fun. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's I mean, there's so much value you brought through this episode and you know just thinking about you know where your passions lie because again there's a number of founders that would never let go of their baby you know especially yep. this early they try to take on learn new skills um yeah. maybe to your point you don't want to manage a bunch of employees or large teams you like the the design and obviously the the building of it and so congrats on you on on, on figuring that out and you know for the audience you, you get to this point you don't have to grow it until you know it stops growing it's you know it's okay to move on to stay with your passion i guess is what i'm i'm trying to say yeah you know like i mentioned earlier i love the design, the the problem solving, that's just where my head is at. And that's what I love to do. I don't really enjoy running a business. <laughs> it was a world <laughs> that I got. It was, and I'm, I have no hesitation on saying that. Uh, it, it was a world I was drawn into from doing something that I love to do, which was, like I said, the design and creativity side. It's been an amazing ride so far. 
And what I've learned over the last few years is it's unbelievable. But now I can take that and do it again. And that's what we're going to do with the next, with the new product. And it's, I'm so excited. It's fun. Um, I'm excited for whoever takes over Bebo because they're going to rock it. I know they are, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be great for them. I'm looking forward to taking my new product and ramping that up. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really fun time at the moment. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I, I bet you are. And you know, I just think as you're talking about that journey, I mean, it was what, four or five short years ago that yep. you were, you know, engineering sales, right? Isn't that what you said you were doing, tinkering with yep. the product and all of a sudden you're, you're through Shark Tank and in the process of selling your first business and ready to launch another product. So that's, yeah. that's I guess, in a nutshell, the American dream, right? It, it, it comes at you fast and you, you got to be ready. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of work. There's, there's blood, sweat and tears <laughs> for sure. You know, I think the success iceberg poster that's always in doctor's offices or, you know, um, the office environment where people just see the success at the top and don't see everything underneath. That's so relevant for me. People just see, Oh, you've got a product, you launched it in Walmart, you're in Bye Bye Baby, you're going to sell it. Good job. Nice one. Right. Be cool. like, yeah, but the grind to get to that point is real. <laughs> yeah. Real. And, and Shark Tank only shows you the uh, the condensed version of idea, launch, shop. Everybody's happy. Everybody wins. <laughs> right? That's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things I've learned and it's been reinforced through the themes through, you know, 20 plus episodes now with, with, with either experts or founders is, man, you've got to enjoy the journey. If you're just focused on the outcome, it's going to end poorly, right? That you're yeah. going to get to the end, whether it's a good outcome or not. And in your case, it was five or six years that if you don't enjoy to your point on the grind and the process, you're probably not working on the, the right thing. And, you know, think about that now versus waiting till the, the end of the journey. So, and yeah. Martin, that was really, really a interesting episode. And I think a lot of value for folks that are, are going through the process and I want to be respectful of your time, but I would like to close with what we call our, our closing time round. Uh, so the audience, I think got a, an inside look at who you are personally, but helps them to get to know you a little bit. Um, so if you're ready, I can, we can launch. Sure. All right. So first question is, what is an experience that really helped shape who you are today? It could be either personal or professional. Yeah, I'd say after my schooling, after I'd done my engineering back in Northeast England, I decided to go see the world a bit. And I took a one-year break. And before leaving for that one-year break, I was pretty quiet. I was kind of in a shell and I felt myself in a shell. I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a recluse, but I just wasn't outgoing. So I, I decided to throw myself into the deep end and get a one-way flight to Australia. I, I had nowhere to stay. I didn't know anybody. I put a backpack on my back, jumped on a plane, and then spent a year traveling around Australia. And okay. that moment in my life was a complete pivot point where it just made me break out of my shell. So that's and definitely that's one. laid the yeah. foundation for taking chances, right? <laughs> Foreign yeah. country, yeah. never been there, no plan. And 
Uh, you yep. obviously made it work. Um, did you just pick up some odd jobs or, you know, what was that? Yeah, exactly. Like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, uh, Australia is part of the Commonwealth um, with the UK. So I actually went over there with a one-year working visa, which meant I can legally work while I was down there. And I got jobs when I needed to, travels when I wanted to. And it was, it was an incredible year. That's actually where I bumped into a young lady named Sarah from America, who's been my wife now for the past 16, 17 years. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. Awesome. It's timing's everything, right? <laughs> That's it. Yep. That's good. All right. So second question is what is one thing you would highly recommend? Highly recommend would be to be prepared and ready to work like you've never worked before. <laughs> you know, it's, I think Laurie Grenier said it once in one of her books. Entrepreneurs, they are the people that will work an 80-hour week to avoid working a 40-hour week. And it's so true. It's so true. But to answer to yourself, uh, rather than somebody else, is quite liberating as well. But, it's, you know, I've told people this before. It, it can be a pretty lonely journey as well, you know, being an entrepreneur and launching a business because everything's on your back. You know, everything comes back to you. So be ready for that. You know, I'd recommend being ready for a hard, hard work, lonely road, but it can also be great. And that's the risk that people take being an entrepreneur. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, it'd be an interesting, I don't know how you could ever measure this, but of the people that launch businesses and you know, the statistics are very, what's low, you know, low chance of success. But if you yep. were able to filter out the the percentage of the folks that, you know, weren't ready to put in that eight hours or in the grind, I'm wondering if the, the chance of success is probably much higher if you, you put the work in. Oh, no doubt. No way, to, no way to filter that out. But, you know, that's another theme that I'm, continuing to hear is if you like go back to the grind, put it work the process. If you're willing to do that, your chances of success are probably five X of somebody that's going through the motions and saying, Hey, I started a company, but why am I not getting success? Um, yeah. yeah. Interesting thought. Yeah. All right. And last, last but not least, if you could only have one more beverage, think last meal, what would it be? I would definitely go with a very good scotch. Oh, scotch interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go with a Macallan 18. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good scotch. Yeah. Mm, it's a good thing you hadn't even thought about this before. So <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I don't blame it. All right. Well, Martin, again, thank you so much for your time. This was, was really interesting. And if anybody's interested in learning more about you and you know where to find you, where can they connect with you? And I'll make sure I add all this to the show notes as well. I use LinkedIn a lot. I'm on there. So Martin Hill. And then our company website is thebebo.com. So that's another way to find out a little bit more about the product. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of my two, two go-tos at the moment, my website and LinkedIn. Okay, fantastic. And if anybody's interested in buying the Bebo, it's for sale. <laughs> you now know where yeah. to find Martin and uh, start the process. So again, yeah. thank you for your time. Appreciate it and have a, a great rest of your day. You too, Brett. Thank you. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. 
Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.